This morning's title is very simple, Physical Resurrection. Physical Resurrection. To the normal, rational, finite person, which I will assume this morning is all of us, it is a very difficult doctrine, the physical resurrection. In honesty, it is very difficult. To think that ashes can come back into a body. Very recently, had an opportunity to visit some, very few, but of the catacombs. There were no ashes left. The bodies are gone. But one day, my friend, all of those bodies will be resurrected again, as with all of the graves around us. It is a difficult doctrine, we must admit, for a finite mind. Because, first of all, we know from the scriptures that men, according to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, do not understand or comprehend, number one, the scriptures. If that could be corrected, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, but the scriptures. Or secondly, and I want you to get this, the power of God. Matthew 22, verse 29 is where you'll find that. And that is in the context where people were questioning him about the one that would die and has been married to several uh, men and who's going to be the spouse in heaven. And God says, you don't understand the resurrection and you don't understand because you don't understand the scriptures nor the power of God when you talk about the resurrection. But nevertheless, as we come here today, we indeed are celebrating, without question in my mind, the most significant event in the Christian faith, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, in my personal opinion, is the one and most astounding and most significant. Oh, there are other important events in the Christian faith. And there are other important events even in Scripture. We have the creation of man. Where would you and I be had it not been for God creating man in his own image and likeness? We wouldn't be here. And then we have the tremendous promise of the Messiah to come. We find that throughout the Old Testament. Tremendous events. Tremendous promises. Without question. And certainly... As we move to the New Testament and we find out that Jesus Christ came into the world, that God so loved the world that he gave freely his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Without question, the incarnation, the coming into the flesh of God as described in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 is without question a very significant event that the likes of God would take on flesh. And certainly as we come to this time of year, and we were over in Rome at the time of the Holy Week, and certainly as we look to the cross, we must admit and say that it is a very significant event in the Christian life, without question. For in that event... The God of this universe was satisfied. The payment was made by he who knew no sin when he became sin for us. 
We are all sinners and have come short of the glory of God. God sent his son into the world, the incarnation. Why? His purpose and his hour was for the cross. And as he went to the cross, God was justified. The propitiation, the mercy seat was found in Jesus Christ and God's righteousness was satisfied in him. No question. The debt of sin paid. But, my friend, without the resurrection, there would be no hope. <clears throat> no hope beyond this life and no hope for the future. Our theology, according to 1 Corinthians, as we even heard this morning, would be useless. You can talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. You can talk about that birth. You can celebrate Christmas. You can celebrate the cross. But all of those events are useless without a resurrection. Without a resurrected Savior, we have nothing more than any other religion of the world because Confucius is still in the grave. Muhammad is still in the grave. Buddha is still in the grave. And on and on and on we could go. All that we heard this morning in the early service testifies to that. And yet it's interesting because many, as you read your history books, many have believed in life after death without question. That's why in the pyramids, when they dug and you have grave robbers, they went in there because they buried people with possessions, gold, silver, precious stone. Not only that, animals, slaves, people. Why? For the afterlife. We happen to visit one particular tomb, the tomb of Philip II, and we saw magnificent artifacts, pure gold, shields, swords, coins, and people that were buried with this great king in history. Why? Because they believed in life after death. So many have believed in that. And yet, some mock at life after death. In fact, many do. Thank you, but I have water right under here. I was looking for it. Tonight I got it. Today I got it. Thank you. I didn't have it Friday night, but I know I'm going to need it. Thank you. But some have mocked at it. For example, the Greek philosophers in Acts chapter 17, which is when Paul was on the Areopagus, there it says specifically that they began to sneer at him when in the midst of all those other temples he stood and he talked about the living God. They sneered when they heard about the resurrection. The pagans, we are told, in general terms, according to Ephesians chapter 2, are without hope beyond the grave. There are many that you and I rub elbows with today, and they find no hope beyond the grave. They think it ends there. The Sadducees, the Sadducees, excuse me, the Sadducees were of that nature. We find that in Acts chapter 23. We find it in Matthew chapter 22. And it specifically says they did not believe in the resurrection. They had no hope in the resurrection. False teachers, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we find were teaching that the resurrection was something of the past. It had already passed. 
and they were turning over the faith of some of those who were trusting in Christ. Simply pointing those things out to you to make you realize that while many, even in other parts of the world and around the world, believed in life after death, there are many or some who would mock at the concept of life after death. Man wants science. Man wants evidence and believes that if he's given the right evidence, excuse me, if he sees the right things, he would believe. Often people come up with the concept that if someone would appear to me who was dead and I saw a resurrected person, I would believe. That's not necessarily so. Well, how do you know that? Lazarus was raised from the dead, and the people knew that he was dead for four days. And as we've already studied in Scripture, that was purposely done by God to have that four days, because even they said, by now he stinks, we understand. And yet as he came out of the grave, yes, some believed, but many mocked. When Jesus Christ, as we come to the celebration today, came forth out of the grave, they even made up reasons and bought people with money to deny that it happened, though many saw him. In fact, on one occasion, 500 saw him who were alive at the time of the writing of the scripture. So the concept of just because they've seen a resurrected body, someone would believe, or you think you'd believe for sure if you saw a resurrected body, that's not necessarily true. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, we read a story of a rich man who found himself in hell. On earth, he thought it was a joke. He realized now death was real. Found himself in hell and said, I can't do anything about this, but please do me a favor. I'm paraphrasing many of you are familiar with it. Please send back someone from the dead to my brothers. I have five of them that are still alive on the earth and tell them it's real. If they saw someone come back from the dead, certainly they would believe. What was God's response? They have the word of God. They don't believe that, neither will they believe though somebody came back from the dead because they'll make all kinds of excuses. So that doesn't necessarily do it. What's the significance of the Bible, the word of God? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is based upon what God has told us. Men have also, because of this, as you talk about some who have thought of life after death and then you find out others who just mock at it. Kind of a solution to that sometimes is the easy solution as I call it and it has happened throughout history and that is well physically anything physical is viewed as evil. So they recognize that the body itself goes into the grave and then it turns to ashes because that's evil and maybe there's the soul, the spiritual side and that part of man is good and that part of man gets resurrected but certainly not the body because we have all the evidence around that the body goes into the grave and that it just dies there. That is described in a very familiar passage to us by the way in 1 Thessalonians in the fourth chapter when he says to believers who have experienced in their own families relatives who have died trusting in Christ and he says this very significant thing. He says don't go to the grave as those without hope, because others, that's the way they go. There's no hope beyond the grave. And then he talks about the rapture in that particular pas passage. 
The scriptures clearly, folks, teach a physical resurrection, all made possible by Christ. And this morning, what I want to consider with you is the concept of the resurrection and a physical resurrection. Let me begin. I'm not to your outline yet. I'm working my way there. Let me begin with the resurrection. Anastasis is the word. It's a compound word. It simply means this. It's not very difficult. Uprising. Upstanding. In other words, to stand up, to rise. That's all the word resurrection means, just as we would suspect. To stand up, to arise, to rise up. But to put it in someone's terms, it's better with terminology than I am, as they took the word, a Greek scholar put it this way, that basically the concept behind the standing up or the rising up with the resurrection is this, and I quote, it is a divine miracle of restoring a person to life, listen, in body and in spirit. It is a divine miracle of making that which was dead stand up again. That takes a miracle of God. It's not talking about someone that was just defined medically as dead or brain dead and maybe there was still life. No, it's a divine miracle that takes one that is absolutely dead without breath, without life whatsoever and making that person resurrect, stand up again. It can be used temporally, for example, was in the Old Testament, was in the New. Let me just give you some perspective on that. We have the widow's son in 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's interesting because it says this before he is resurrected. There was no life or breath in him. No question. It's not a matter of guesswork. There's no life. And he was resurrected temporarily. Why do you say temporarily? He died again. The son of the Shunammite. 2 Kings chapter 4 clearly said he was dead without breath. He was dead. Rise up, temporal, dead again. The dead man that was thrown into Elisha's tomb, interesting passage to read in 2 Kings chapter 13. He was dead, they knew it, they threw him in the grave with Elisha. As soon as he hit Elijah's body, stood up again. That's a miracle. But all of those are temporal. New Testament, Lazarus, I already gave you one. In John chapter 11, after four days, no question, everybody knew it. The stink was there, way beyond medical help. And what happens, reality, God just simply says, Lazarus, come forth, and forth he comes. That is a miracle. He stood up again. Eutychus in Acts chapter 20 in Troas, same thing. Fell from the balcony. I don't feel bad when people fall asleep on me because he had a long fall. You don't have that far uh, a fall. If you fall, you only hit one pew down. Okay? But he fell down. And what happened? He was dead. And then Paul goes over to him, and he stood up again. Life came in him. That's what we're dealing with. But it can also refer to eternal, such as Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, unlike Lazarus, unlike the Shunam son of the Shunammite, unlike Eutychus, he rose from the dead eternally, never to die again. And my friend, that is the promise to listen all, according to John chapter 5 and verses 24 to 28. 
I'll be back to 1 Corinthians 15. Just go there for one moment. Watch. John chapter 5. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You want to have eternal life? What must you do? It is called by grace through faith. In other words, he hears the word of God. God, since he's created it, tells us how we get saved. It's by faith. And that's why you need to believe his message, and you will be given eternal life. <coughs> Excuse me. It does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, watch, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. For just as the Son, just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now watch the next verse. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which how many? Does he mean all? I think in the context, he absolutely does. Why? He says so. Who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come forth. When God says come forth, they're coming out, out of the tombs. So it is something that is promised, this type of eternal resurrection. Well, you say, how do you know it will be physical? Let me give you some quick things, and then we'll look at our text. I say it'll be physical because Job wrote these words in Job chapter 19, verse 26. Listen carefully. After my skin is destroyed. Got that? Dust to dust. You got that? Nothing left. Bones are gone. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, faith, that in my, anybody know the what next word? In my flesh. What did he say? I will see God. That, my friend, takes a miracle of making someone stand up again. And Job in the Old Testament said, I am so confident, I know that when this body is gone and you find nothing in my casket, I yet in my flesh will see God. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19 said, The dead shall live together. Very key term in the Hebrew there, by the way. The dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise. They shall stand up again. The body will stand up again. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, folks, it was a real body. He was touched. He talked. He ate. He didn't have to eat, but he did. He didn't have to talk, but he did. He didn't have to be touched, but he said, you remember? You, believe, you don't believe me, Thomas? Put now your hand into my side. Put now your hand into my nail prints and see that it is me, resurrected body. In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been defending the concept of a resurrection. So while many may mock at it, may put it aside, may sneer at it, may not think that it's true, he's been defending it. And what he has stated in Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to be very open and blunt with you today, but beginning in chapter 15, if you look at verse 3, just to highlight it yourself, 
He said the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel. We heard that again this morning. It is an essential part. Part of the gospel is that Christ died for sins, according to the scripture, and then he was buried, verse 4, and then he, what? Was raised on the third day. That's part of the gospel. It's part of the good news. As I said earlier, without the resurrection, there's no hope. In chapter 15, verse 20, he says, but now Christ has been risen. And he pointed out in talking about the resurrection, there is absolutely no question. Look at all the evidence. You'd find it interesting, by the way, if you took the time to study some people's lives who formerly were atheists and didn't believe, and they studied and researched of the resurrection and then finally came to Christ when they saw the evidence. There was so much evidence about the resurrection, it was overwhelming. But even more importantly, not because just Christ is risen, but if you look at verse 22, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Because Christ is risen, we will also rise. However, it'll be in a different body, verses 35 to 49, and I will come back to some of that. But I want you to notice something that's going to trigger where we're going. If you look at verse 44 for a minute in 1 Corinthians, verse 15, it says this. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And because of that verse, without looking at the surrounding context, Many have drawn the conclusion, well, there it is. See, they had it right. The body goes into the grave. There's the physical body. It's died. It's gone. And then it's raised. It is raised up again. It is resurrected, but it's not really a physical body. It's not really uh, a body that we can see. It's, it's simply a spiritual body. Really? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's right. No, that's not the right thinking. But we do have a problem, and that leads us to our text. Now go to verse 50. Even the scriptures say this. We want to talk about a physical resurrection. We got a problem. Why? Verse 50. Earth, never mind the movie. Earth, we got a problem. Why? Verse 50. Now I say this, brethren. Watch what he says. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. What is he saying there? Just what he said is what he means. <coughs> this flesh and blood, now let me just give you a little side trip here. When it talks about the kingdom of God, it's used many ways in scripture. It's obvious from the context here. He's not talking about the entire kingdom of God. He is talking about inheriting, being in the final phase of it, in what we refer to, allow me a little grace here, heaven. Okay? and being with him. In other words, flesh and blood cannot be in the kingdom of God in heaven. Why? I'll tell you why. This body is not equipped for heaven. Surprised? I hope not. It's very simple. This physical body of flesh and blood is not equipped for heaven. Why? It was designed by God and equipped for God for this world. That's why we can breathe in the air. That's why we eat and have the necessity. It has pain. It has suffering. It has limitations. I cannot, well, I could try to run through that wall, but please call an ambulance when I hit it, okay? Because I'm going to bounce back. This body is designed for this world, see? We need to understand that. 
So flesh and blood itself, if that's all it was, listen carefully before some of you call me a heretic by the time I'm done. Listen carefully. Even the body of Jesus was not yet equipped for heaven. What? According to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, he had to take on that which was not common to him because men had a body, and that's why you have the incarnation coming into the flesh. But even that body had to have something happen to it before he could go back into the presence of his father. Why? Because as he walked on the earth, fully God, fully man, that body was equipped for the suffering that he faced. It was equipped for the things of this world. That's what he's saying. So this body, as you and I know it and have it, is not equipped yet for heaven. Hasn't got the right equipment. So what has to happen? Well, something has to happen. And verse 51 begins to tell us. So the mystery and the solution begins to happen in verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, this is not a mystery story. This is just something that wasn't fully revealed. Stay with me. Wasn't fully revealed that now he's making it known. We would not know anything about even this world unless God had revealed it to us. We would not know anything about God unless God had revealed himself to us. That's all he's saying. I'm going to now, behold, I'm showing you. I'm telling you. I'm going to tell you something. Now watch what he says. We will not all sleep. I'll come back to that. But watch the rest of it. But we will all be what? Changed. Changed. Alasso. What is that? We will be changed. We will be transformed. We have to exchange something. What is that? And by the way, I purposely believe that God chose very selectively the word here. Because while there are two different words usually used, he used the form of the word alas, that of the same kind. It's going to be different a little bit, but it's related to this body is what we're going to see. And it has to be transformed. It's used to exchange something in Romans chapter 1. Would you just turn there? We'll come right back to Corinthians. I want you to see another usage of it. Romans chapter 1. In verse 23, it's talking about those who don't believe the gospel, really, and God's wrath coming down on him. And in verse 22, it says they profess themselves to be pretty smart or wise, but in reality, they become fools. Now watch what happens. It's the same word. They exchange or they change or they transform the glory of the incorruptible God for the image and the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And if you go back in history, that's what you find. Men bowed down to animals. They would try to worship God, and they would do that type of thing because they would exchange. They would change. They would transform something. So according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this body, as it is equipped for this world, could not enter into heaven unless it gets changed. What gets changed? This body gets changed. How? Go back to verses 40, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 to verses 49. Take a look. Watch. So also it's explaining the resurrection, the standing up again. 
So also is the resurrection of the dead. We, we, we want to know what it's like. It's sown in a perishable body. That's this one. But watch this. It is raised an imperishable body. It's now got a body, but it's a body that is not going to die again. It is sown in dishonor. That's why we cover it up. But it's raised, watch this, in power. We might think we have power right now, but no matter how strong somebody is, no matter how rich and wealthy somebody is, they're still going to the grave because the body as we know it now is without power. It is sown, verse 44, in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. What does he mean? There is a natural, there is a spiritual. Continue on. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. He had a physical body. The last Adam became a life-given spirit. However, the spiritual, that is the spiritual body, is not like the first, but the natural, then spiritual. The first man is of the earth. That's what his body was equipped for. But the second man is equipped for heaven. That's what he says. And is the earthly so also of those of the earthly? As is the heavenly, so also those who are of the heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, that's this body, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly. And what in the world does that mean? Well, he goes on. Go back now where we were in our text, where he's talking about the mystery in verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How? Moment of twinkling of an eye, I'll come back to that. But watch this. And the dead will be raised with an imperishable body. He will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable. Watch. And this mortal must put on immortality. It is connected to our body. And yet it comes back with a different body that is made to stand up. Only that particular body what, <clears throat> is imperishable. It's immortal. Verse 54. But when this perishable, it says, will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. You and I are not immortal right now in this body. Oh, we have eternal life, but we haven't got that body that could stand up yet and be immortal. What's that body like? Well, because of time, I can't go into all this with you, but let me remind you of the resurrection of Christ. No more pain. Won't that be great? No more doctors. No more suffering. Why? That's all a result of a perishing body, flesh and blood, just designed for this world. But the new body that will stand up, that body will be imperishable. There will be no more pain. It will be eternal. It will be just like that body of Christ, which was that. When he had to go into a room and his disciples were there, what did he do? He didn't open the door. He walked through the wall. Why? Imperishable body, now equipped for all eternity. Was it a body that talked? Yes, on the Emmaus Road, he talked with disciples. Yes, at the seaside, he talked with his disciples. It was a real body. They saw him. They could touch him. But now the body was one that was not just flesh and blood, limited to this world. It was directly related to the one that went into the grave, but it was one that was fit for eternity. It was one that is imperishable and eternal. 
It was not limited by time and space. It could eat, but it didn't have to. And we are told that just like he was risen from the dead, so too we will rise from the dead. So what has to happen in this resurrection? Oh, yes, the physical remains, that which has been equipped for this world, goes into the grave. But remember what Jesus Christ said? The day is coming in which all that are in the graves will be called forth. And they will be given a new body that will have no pain, no suffering, more significantly to me, no more sin. Equipped for eternity that will never perish and is equipped for heaven to be in the presence of God for all eternity. What about those, I told you I'd come back to it, what about those that are alive when Christ comes? That's the beginning of verse 51. Not everyone will sleep, but they still shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trump will sound and the dead, notice that, the dead will be raised. How? Imperishable. And will be changed. So even those who are alive when the Lord comes undergo this change instantaneously if they are alive when Christ comes back. I think the biblical examples that we have for us are the bodies of Elijah and Enoch, who basically the Lord took to heaven with him and instantaneously equipped them for the presence of heaven. We are not equipped for that right now. We do have the indwelling Holy Spirit, yes. We do have eternal life. But the final aspect of our sanctification, the glorification, does not take place till the resurrection from the grave, in which God will take this, though the dust would just exist. And that's why man can't accept it. How can you take just dust and bring it back to the same person? No problem with God. You do not understand the power of God if you ask that question. That's Matthew 22. God has no problem with that whatsoever. He could create the world, and he can take the same particles, bring them back, and this time, when he brings them back, associated with the same physical body and a physical resurrection, just make it now equipped not for this world, but for all eternity. And that's what happens in the resurrection. That's why we have this victory song beginning in verse 54. It is then, and only then, that will come about the saying that is written, death, <coughs> excuse me, watch this, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? It is all around us today. One of the tour guides that we were with recently referred to that fact without even knowing they are referring to scripture, that all our life men are in fear of death. Of course they are, because they're not looking beyond that. But Jesus Christ got the victory for us. He not only paid for the sin, but he rose from the grave with an imperishable body. And so too today, those who trust in Christ will one day see that death is swallowed up in victory. When Satan saw Jesus Christ go into the grave, it appeared as though there was victory. There wasn't, because he came out. And when he came out, he had victory over death itself. And that is also true with us. It looks like this victory when we look at gravesides. We look at all of this. That's not victory. Our victory is waiting the change in which our body also will be resurrected. And then it says, a reminder, verse 56, the sting of death is sin. 
And the power of sin is the law. And I guarantee if you're here without Christ, you are witnessing that in your life every day, even if you know Christ. This body witnesses the sting of death and witnesses the power of sin. And if you think you can keep the Ten Commandments, I guarantee you, number one, you probably don't know them. Number two, you can't keep them because it's in the heart. And we violate. And all the, sin, all the law does is point out that we're sinners. And where's the victory of that? That's the wages of sin is death. That's why we do die. And separation from God, that's why we're not in his presence now. But Jesus Christ made it possible in paying the penalty and satisfying the justice of God for our sins to be forgiven and by faith in him to give us victory, not just now but also in all eternity. And that's why he says, verse 57, but contrast to the power of the law, contrast to death, contrast to sin, thanks be to God, watch this, who gives who the victory? Us. Really? Well, how does that happen? He tells you the means through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes. The day that we are celebrating, Jesus Christ is the one that himself laid down his life so that we could be set free. He is the one that is able to take someone, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that is dead in their trespasses and sins, dead absolutely apart from God, no life whatsoever, and bring them into life eternal through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is also the one who raised up his life again from the grave. He stood up again in the same body, but a body that was changed, associated and like that body, but now imperishable. And so too, as he rose and got victory, even over the sting of death, so too the Christian rejoices in that. What a day. This is a day we just take for granted. Easter bunny, Easter eggs, dressing up, nice outfits, and that's all of that, you know, outfits great, wonderful, terrific. Yeah, Christ rose from the dead. Yeah, okay, what else is new? There would be no hope. We would be without hope. But how does it affect you? Let me deal with the Christians for a moment. What does that affect on your life? Paul wrote this epistle to the Corinthians who were involved in all kinds of divisions, who were involved in all kinds of professing Christianity with lives that didn't line up. And he promised them that their life was going to be changed, and then he left them with this exhortation in verse 58. Therefore, because our lives, which have been equipped for this world, will be equipped for heaven in its glorification at the resurrection, it ought to have an effect. My beloved brethren, he's talking to me. He's talking to you. If we believe this, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, if you believe in life eternal, if you've trusted in Christ, it ought to affect our lives. And he says this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be firmly settled. Don't be shaken in your faith. Be settled in it. The resurrection is real. The resurrection is a hope of every believer. That's why when I have a, an opportunity to do a funeral and I stand at the, the graveside of a, a fellow believer, 
I am very confident and always say, be reminded that we sorrow, yes, we lost a loved one, but not, not as others who have no hope. Why? We know, and we are settled. It's the issue's done. But then he says, don't only be firmly settled, but he repeats it with a stronger word, immovable. Not swayed by false doctrine. That permeated the early church. It permeated church history. Doctrines that would cause confusion. And today, my friend, we are in a lot of that. There is so much confusion with doctrine that you can't decide what is true Christianity and not true Christianity anymore. It's that bad. And he said, don't be movable. Be steadfast. Don't be driven. It reminds me of Ephesians. Don't be driven around by every wind of doctrine that comes along. But stand firm, particularly in the doctrine of the resurrection. And then he says this. Always abounding. Am I always abounding? Unfortunately, no. Are you always abounding as a Christian? You want to understand what that term means? Give me one more reference before I have my closing verse. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 for just a second. I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to pick it up in verse 7. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Without Folks, without the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, you have not been redeemed. You can trust in anyone you want, in any religion, in any person, and it won't get you anywhere. The only one that satisfied the righteousness of God was Jesus Christ. So it's through his blood. Watch the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And watch this. Which he lavished upon us. That's the same term that we see in 1 Corinthians. Think about that. God lavishes upon us his grace. We have more than we deserve. And he just lavishes it and pours it out always to us in many, many ways. Not just the Holy Spirit coming in our lives. Not just the things he does for us. We see God lavishing his blessings and his grace on us. And what he's saying, that should be true of us. We should be always abounding, or if you'll allow me the grace, we should be lavishing, <clears throat> what? <clears throat> In the work of the Lord. We should be exceeding expectations. God has exceeded any expectation that we could ever think of in our life as a Christian. And he continues to do that day in and day out. And so believers are called because you believe in the resurrection, because you know there's a resurrection of your body coming, and you know you'll be with Christ for eternity, we ought to be settled in that. We ought to be unmovable when other false doctrines come along, and we should always be lavishing or abounding what? In the work of the Lord. Are we? I'll quote another writer and think on these words. Here's what he said. And I quote, Our money our time, our energy, our talents, our gifts, our bodies, our minds, and our spirit 
should be invested in some way to the work of the Lord. For only in that way will it not perish. What a challenging word. Our time, energy, money. What are we investing in? Doesn't mean you don't have retirement. Doesn't mean you don't enjoy the things. But we should be constantly consumed with investing in some way into the work of the Lord. And this is not a call for an offering at all. But as believers above all, we should be so committed because we know that everything in this world, including all of those other things, are going to perish. But people do not. And the body of Christ, we know from Ephesians, is made up of people. It's made up of people. Paul's desire in Philippians chapter 3 was to experience the resurrected power of the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Talk about this as we bring it to a close. Physical resurrection? Absolutely. There is not a person in this room that's hearing my voice that will not be resurrected from the grave. I never finished with the passage in John, but it says this. Some unto eternal life, some unto eternal damnation. Don't be like the one in Luke chapter 16 who didn't think it was real. And then when he found himself in hell, wanted to get the message back to earth because he found out it was real. My friend, it is too late. If you go to the grave without trusting in Christ, there is no purgatory. There is no limbo. It's heaven or it's hell. And those who by faith have trusted in the resurrected Savior, the one who laid down his life, satisfied the righteousness of God, and by faith have trusted in that, and have believed the gospel which includes on the third day rising again, have risen again from the grave, those have eternal life and will be called unto the resurrection of life, and we will be changed. And this body will put on a body of immortality that is equipped for heaven for all eternity. It will never suffer pain again. It will be able to be in the presence of God for all eternity, and it will be directly associated with the body here that we had, but it will be changed. If you haven't trusted in Christ, come to Christ. Come to Christ today. The message that you've heard holds you responsible. You will never be able to stand before God and say, I didn't hear. I didn't know. Oh, yes, you did. Because God's word is clear. Jesus Christ said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto the Father but by him. Trust in him and be saved. And your body will be resurrected, but resurrected to eternal life in the presence of God. Fellow believer, verse 58, we should always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Might God help us to live that victorious life when we walk outside of these walls. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your love and grace. What a day. As they went to the gravesite, they found out that he was not there. He's risen, just as he said. We thank you that even the Lord Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, had his body transformed, changed, 
exchanged in a sense, so that it was a glorified body, never to die again, fitted to be at the right hand of the Father right now, seen of men, touched, conversed, connected with his body he had on earth, but a body that was imperishable, a body that was equipped for all eternity, immortal. And Father, we know because of his resurrection, we too shall rise. Those who by faith have trusted in Christ and experienced the same type of change of a body that has changed from mortal to immortality, a body that has changed from perishable to imperishable on the authority of the word of God. But Father, we thank you that right now you're lavishly pouring out your riches of grace on us. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've brought us to faith in Christ. And it is that resurrected power that we need to walk in. For the law will not give us power as believers. Our own flesh won't accomplish victory. But walking in the power of the resurrected Christ, yielding to the Spirit of God will. And help us to do that, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Being unmovable. Help us to do that. And Father, if there be any here today that have not trusted in Christ, help them to see that Resurrection Sunday is not just another day, not just another event but it demonstrates the power of God and they too will rise one day. Help them not to rise to a resurrected body that will face and be equipped for hell for all eternity, but bring them to faith today in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be changed, that all things might become new. Might they trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and be brought from death unto life. We look for you to accomplish that. Thank you for this time. We rejoice in this occasion, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.